Hi, friends. Hi. How are we doing today? Well, I'm glad you came to church. Tim's here to provide a little moon music for the moment. Well, today we continue a three-part series we're calling Revive, in which we're examining three practices that I believe can revive our souls and restore our hope for the year ahead. We found over the years as a community, when we make these practices a part of our everyday lives, slowly but surely a change takes place. We become the kind of people who naturally love God and love others. We actually begin to live more like Jesus. The three practices are owning, partnering, and investing. We're looking at a different practice in each week of this series. Now, we consider these three practices the strategic anchors of our organization. Now, that's leaders speak. But, but some of you know where this comes from. Think about it. Some organizations make widgets and gadgets. Some organizations make shareholders money. This organization makes disciples. People who are learning from Jesus how to live lives, how to live their lives. Last week, we talked about owning your faith, taking personal responsibility for your journey with Jesus. And if you're new to our community, but you you missed last week's message, go to our website or go to YouTube and watch it. That message explains a lot about how we teach and how we do church. This week, we'll talk about partnering. We say we devote ourselves to fellowship as we experience life together. We believe the journey with Jesus was never meant to be done alone. That's why we often are talking about groups or events where you can make connections and develop spiritual friendship. And we shouldn't mistake friendly people for spiritual friends. A spiritual friend is someone you can call in crisis who responds not just with empathy and encouragement, but with let's pray right now. That's why today we're we're going to challenge you to cultivate spiritual friendship in your life. Now, before I say more, let's invite God to speak to us. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the verses we read today cause us to carefully consider the priority we place on spiritual friendships. May our eyes be opened to see the blessing we might experience and the kind of life-giving, God-honoring, breathtaking connection the Bible describes. We pray this in the name of our King Jesus who calls us his friends. Amen. When I was a little boy, a teacher I loved, Mrs. Hall, put me into a reading group where I got to read books that stretched my imagination as they taught me subtle life lessons. And I particularly recall the frog and toad books. Did any of you grow up reading them? See, the frog and toad series was written and illustrated by Arnold Lobel. The, The stories which garnered both the coveted Caldecott and Newbery medals for children's books chronicled the adventures and the misadventures of two anthropomorphic amphibians named Frog and Toad. Well, today, with Tim's accompaniment, I'd like to read to you a short story about Frog and Toad entitled, The Dream. Toad? was asleep and he was having a dream he was on a stage and he was wearing a costume Toad looked out into the dark Frog was sitting in the theater a strange voice from far away said presenting the greatest Toad in the world Toad took a deep bow Frog looked smaller as he shouted, Hooray for Toad! Toad will now play the piano very well, said the strange voice. Toad played the piano and did not miss a note. Frog, cried Toad, can you play the piano like this? No, said Frog. It seemed to Toad that Frog looked even smaller. 
toad will now walk on a high wire and he will not fall down, said the voice. Toad walked on the high wire. Frog, cried Toad, can you do tricks like this? No, peeped Frog, who looked very, very small. Toad will now dance and he will be wonderful, said the voice. Frog, can you be as wonderful as this, said Toad, as he danced all over the stage. There was no answer. Toad looked out into the theater. Frog was so small that he could not be seen or heard. Frog, said Toad, where are you? There was still no answer. Frog, what have I done? cried Toad. Then the voice said, The greatest Toad will now shut up, screamed Toad. Frog, Frog, where have you gone? Toad was spinning in the dark. Come back, Frog, he shouted. I will be lonely. I'm right here, said Frog. Frog was standing near Toad's bed. Wake up, Toad, he said. Frog, is that really you? said Toad. Of course it is me, he said. And are you your own right size? asked Toad. Yes, I think so, said Frog. Then Frog and Toad ate a big breakfast. I'm sorry, Toad looked at the sunshine coming through the window. Frog, he said, I'm so glad that you came over. I always do, said Frog. Then Toad and Frog ate a big breakfast, and after that, they spent a fine, long day together. The end. Let's thank Tim. Wouldn't be the same without the music, would it? Friends, today, I want to talk to you about achieving and connecting. Toad was warned in a dream about the price we pay when we prioritize achieving over connecting. Former senior lecturer at Harvard Medical School, Edward Hallowell, explains, for most people, the two most powerful experiences in life are achieving and connecting. Almost everything that counts is directed toward one of these two goals. The peaks of life, for most people, are falling in love, which is connecting, and reaching a hard-won goal, which is achieving. Of course, achieving is about doing. Connecting is about relating. Now, I want to say from the outset, I love achieving. And I want to assure my hard-working, achieving friends in the room, in this message, you will not be shamed for your passion to achieve. I love achieving. And I think I could argue God loves achieving. In fact, he wired you for it. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul declares, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Oh my, there's a lot of theology in this short verse. We've unpacked it in detail on other occasions, so I'll just say this for now. This verse tells you, you were created for achievement. God is a creator and you were created in God's image so that means you're a creator sure achieving looks different to different people for you achieving may be climbing the corporate ladder achieving may be checking off a to-do list there's so many great ways to achieve and remember achieving isn't a bad thing great things come from our drive to get things done God is a doer and he made us doers we create we fix we improve just like God and that's good until it's not can there be too much of a good thing personally I find it unsettling that two of our greatest passions achieving and connecting often work against one another and it seems more often than not in our culture achieving comes out on top Last August, I took four weeks and made my case for spiritual friendships. 
Well, today I'll do my best not to repeat myself, but even if I did, I'm not sure repetition is so bad. Samuel Johnson observed, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. Well, here's why we're returning to this theme. Friends, I feel quite strongly that a part of what God wants to do in our community in this season involves connection. I passionately believe that he wants us to be a church where everyone who comes has two or three of their best friends, their BFFs, in this church. Now, when I speak of best friends, I'm specifically referring to spiritual friends, people who, as Mindy Caliguire puts it, help us pay attention to God. I I believe people grow as iron sharpens iron and I long for each of you. I I mean every single one of you to forge deeper spiritual friendships in our community in the year ahead. Yes, my friend, I believe you were created for achievement and I believe wholeheartedly you were created for connection. I'll explain what I mean by taking you back to the creation account in the book of Genesis. Think for a moment about what God did and what he thought about what he did. God created the heavens and the earth and he called it good. God created the waters in the sky and he called it good. God created man and he called it good. But then Genesis 2.18, then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. In the perfection of creation before sin and shame entered the picture, God built a hunger, a yearning, a craving for companionship into the fabric of our beings. We long for intimacy, and not just romantic intimacy. I'm not saying God made a mistake. No, this need for connection, it's not a flaw, it's a feature. 20 years ago, I was struck by an observation of John Ortberg, and I'm still struck. He he noted how in church communities, when people feel lonely, we tell them not to lean too heavily on other people for fulfillment. We tell them to go to God. We say, everyone has a God-shaped hole in their soul. It's a void that only God can fill. I absolutely believe that's true. And it seems that God created a human-shaped void that God will not fill. God designed us in such a way that relationship with him alone in the garden wasn't enough. Or, as God put it, it's not good. Again, I'm not pointing out any deficiency on God's part. I'm simply saying you were created for connection. And friends, this isn't merely biblical truth. It shows up in psychological and medical research as well. Henry Cloud writes about a decades-long study conducted of, of the community of Rosetto, Pennsylvania. In the 1900s, the town was populated mostly by Italian immigrants who, who were renowned for their enduring personal relationships. Simultaneously, these townspeople developed a reputation for their unusually long lifespans, such that researchers sought to understand why. They discovered the most important variable, friendship. The social scientists found the residents shared deep and abiding relationships that others in the region didn't. True story. The the researchers discerned that the people of Rosetta didn't actually take care of themselves any better than anyone else. They ate loads of red meat and fatty foods. I'm talking pasta. I'm talking cannoli. They drank and smoked as much as any American. Yet they lived much longer lives. Now, before you pack up and move to Rosetto, I should tell you, researchers returned to the town decades later. By then, industrialization left its mark. People had moved away, new people had moved in, connections were broken. People didn't know their neighbors like they used to. And the result? Life expectancy rates plummeted. And loads of other studies reveal the same findings. Studies show people with close friends have stronger immune systems. People with close friends have a lower risk of stroke, heart disease, and cancer. 
If you have a strong support system, you're more likely to manage stress better. You're less vulnerable to depression and anxiety. You're less likely to become an addict and more likely to overcome your addiction. If you have spiritual friendship in your life, it's because you and I were created for connection. Of course you were created for achievement, but you were also created with a deep need to love and be loved. Now, to highlight the tension between achieving and connecting, I want to take you to the introduction of a letter written by the Apostle Paul. We'll look at his greeting to the church at Philippi, and here's why. Paul's letter to the Philippians reads differently than every other letter written to every other church. Paul's words are more passionate and more personal in Philippians than Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and the rest. And here's the thing. Paul loved all the churches he started. And he started a lot of churches throughout the Roman Empire. Paul loved all the churches he started. But there was something special about the church at Philippi. They they were especially beloved by this overworked aging apostle. A part of the reason Paul didn't write uh, many personal letters to churches is because Paul didn't know the recipients personally. Paul never visited some of the churches to whom he wrote. But friends, I think I can argue the reason Paul felt particularly close to the people of Philippi is because he shared spiritual friendship with them. Now I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And as I read it, I I want you to watch for the occurrence of words that convey the personal nature of Paul's correspondence. Verse 3 begins, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, believe it or not, this is actually a single sentence in Greek. But as you look at that sentence, I want you to look back at all the instances of hyperbole. I'll read it again. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's emotive words get my attention. See, when I read other letters Paul wrote, I conclude, sure, Paul's passionate. Yeah, I infer Paul's intense. But I don't think we could say Paul's a snuggler. Paul doesn't write like this normally. Uh, But but he writes like this in, in his letter to Philippi. Because with them, Paul shared a deep and abiding connection. As I say that, I want you to know there is no doubt the Apostle Paul was an achiever. Paul led the work to bring the message of Jesus to Asia Minor and the continent of Europe. Nevertheless, in a life devoted to doing something arguably more important than anything any one of us will ever do, Paul experienced the joy of life-giving, soul-strengthening, spiritual friendship. Look at how Paul describes his relationship to this community in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Think for a moment about your closest friends. What comes to mind when they come to mind? Paul thinks about his friends in Philippi, and he's compelled to thank God. That means Paul must be experiencing the work of God through that friendship. Do you have a friend or two whom God uses to heal you, to help you, to restore you? Do you have a friend that God uses to to be his voice in your life? What if you did? Paul elaborates on his prayer in verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul's prayers always make him smile. 
His prayers for them always make him smile. Joy uh, is translates the Greek word kara. Uh, joy in Paul's writing, especially in the book of Philippians, describes a pervasive sense of well-being that's not contingent on circumstances. Though the apostle, as he writes this, has lost his freedom, though, though he's chained to a Roman guard, wondering if he'll ever live to write another letter, Paul pens these words. Later in verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord, I will, I will say it again, rejoice. Biblical joy, friends, is bigger and better than worldly happiness. Biblical joy transcends circumstances. Now, Paul uses that word joy many times in his letters, but on only a handful of occasions does Paul use it to describe his response to another person. Well, a, a little later in the letter, we read in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul says his relationship is a source of joy. Meaning God uses these people in this church to help Paul find courage and encouragement in spite of his chains. You have somebody like that in your life? Someone who brings you joy when you're down, when you're discouraged? Now, joy bringers aren't necessarily a certain personality. They aren't always outgoing and wacky. They they can be quiet, soft-spoken as well. But, but their presence is like a breath of fresh air. And friends, this is personal to me. On countless occasions in our capital community, I have experienced the joy Paul writes about. I, I don't know what I'd do without my spiritual friends who lift me up and cheer me up. Well, it's because I know you and I were created for connection. I'm all about achieving, believe me. But achieving at the expense of connecting doesn't achieve near as much as you might believe. Paul's report continues in verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, there's something special about Paul's connection to this church. They they formed a bond from the earliest days, from, from the first day until now. That word partnership is the Greek word koinonia. We've seen it before. It's sometimes translated fellowship. Greek philosophers considered koinonia the ideal of all relationships, a true brotherly bond. Now, do you have any one-sided relationships in your life? Of course you do. And you should. Christ calls his disciples to serve, and many of the relationships we have take more than they give. But, but, But the key here is we shouldn't make all our relationships, one-sided relationships. Paul's connection with his friends in Philippi is koinonia. There's a mutuality to it. There's a passage Paul wrote to a church he didn't know, but he wanted them to, to experience the full benefits of life in Christ's kingdom. About them, he said in Colossians 2, verse, verse 2, he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That phrase united in love is literally translated knit together. Paul says, if we, as God's people, are knit together in love for one another, we will then receive all all the hidden treasure of wisdom and knowledge available in this life from King Jesus. What happens if we're not knit together? And look, I get it. It's possible you're not as enthusiastic about being knit together in Christian community as the Apostle Paul. Maybe your experience with Christian community has left a bad taste in your mouth. You've been disappointed. You've been hurt. You've been judged or left out or left behind. And look, I'm not going to dismiss your pain today. I will not paint a perfect picture of Christian community as if it's always sunshine and kittens. Because the truth is, people get hurt in the best churches. People get bruised in the best friendships. I'm not going to say it's always wonderful. I'm going to say it's worth risking. It's worth risking disappointment and frustration to develop it. 
Look, I've learned I'd rather risk a few wounds than miss out on the hidden treasures of life Jesus can lead us to in spiritual friendship. Now, I, I should remind you of something I said last summer. It's possible to attend church for a lifetime without experiencing this kind of relationship. And that may not be your fault. Churches are often filled with prickly people and porcupines aren't easy to get to know. But it's equally possible that you haven't invested enough time or energy in these relationships. And hear me, just attending church probably won't be enough. You can come to church every week and never experience koinonia. If you never get to know people, if you never invest in people, if you never make an effort to go to a small group or serve on a team, you will never know what it's like to be part of the Spirit's plan of spiritual friendship. Let's be honest. For some of us, churches simply become a place where we get our souls fed and our personal spiritual needs met, after which we make a beeline for the door without any regard for a shared spiritual journey. Hear me. If your present experience of Christian community is lonely, then you haven't fully experienced Christian community. Yet. I wonder if God is inviting you to trust him with new opportunities for life-giving friendship. No, don't, don't neglect the wounds you've received. Do whatever you gotta do to find healing. Read books, talk to a friend, talk to a counselor. Do whatever you gotta do to find healing. But I will keep pleading with you. Don't let your past experience with people prevent you from letting God give you a new experience with people. Paul defends his close connection with his friends. He maintains them, verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you, about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Oh, such intimacy. Paul draws strength from his friendship, whether serving or suffering. And then, look, some of you, you're hearing me talk about this, you're reading Paul's emotional word and you say hold on hold on Troy too many feels hmm come on too many feels I'm not interested I'm very cerebral that's not your bag and maybe you're you're, you're too, so tough you don't need this but I'll tell you one of the strongest leaders in the Bible found friendship like this his name was David and he was famous for being a fighter and a feeler. <laughs> and my favorite verse in spiritual friendship, we read, Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. That was in a dark, dark season of David's life. And in that dark season, David had a spiritual friend who came alongside him. Do, do you have a friend who helps you find strength in God? It's one thing to find a friend who makes you laugh. It's another thing to find a friend who helps you find strength in God. Friends, I've searched and searched and I can't find any passage that more accurately depicts the nature of spiritual friendship. A spiritual friend, somebody helps you find strength in God. Now again, we don't mistake friendly people for spiritual friends. Do you have someone who helps you see God when you're having trouble keeping your eyes on him? Paul brings his sentence to an intense conclusion. Verse 8, he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. (laughs) Uh, The the word affection translates the word splachnon in Greek. Literally, it means bowels or intestines. And and Greek thought the bowels were considered the seat of deepest emotion. See, to to feel something in your intestines is to feel it at the core of your being. It's to feel something in your gut. Paul proclaims, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And if you've ever had a true spiritual friend in your life, those words resonate with you. People like that are a priceless present. And we thank God for them. And sometimes you don't know what you got until they're gone. And maybe you had a spiritual friend 
move away. Maybe you lost a spiritual friend to death or disagreement. And in my personal and pastoral experience, disagreement's often harder than death. Well, look, look, if you've lost a spiritual friend, look, if anybody understands your plight, it's the Apostle Paul. While chained to a Roman guard far away in Rome, he's not sharing life with his spiritual friends either. He longs for them. He longs for them. But my friend, what if you cultivated new spiritual friendships right where you are now? I use that verb cultivate intentionally. It usually takes work. It usually takes time and attention, trial and error, and loads of energy. But I'm telling you, you were created for it. You were created for connection. I I discussed my dilemma earlier, how I'm so struck that achieving often fights against connecting. And connecting often fights against achieving. Well, the Bible has something to say about that topic. There's a a book in the Old Testament. It's called Ecclesiastes. It's a unique piece of Jewish wisdom literature. In it, the author discusses the complexities and the paradoxes of life and, and, and his personal struggle to find meaning and purpose. Throughout the book, the the writer hands us realistic, often pessimistic observations of life. In Ecclesiastes 4, he writes this in verse 4. And I saw that all toil and all achievement, let me stop there a moment, the writer observes the striving of humankind, our efforts building a business, amassing wealth. He looks at all of it and he asks, why? Why do we do what we do? And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one's envy of one another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. How much of your striving is really just keeping up with the people around you? How much of your drive springs not from the joy of working or doing or serving, but from your obsession to be better than your peers? The the writer says all achievement springs from envy. Of course, that isn't precise. He's using hyperbole to make a point. The vast majority of the stressing and striving in our Western world is rooted in envy, isn't it? Now, he doesn't say we should stop working. Verse 5, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. See, laziness isn't the answer to our frenzied pace. Instead, the writer cautions balance. Verse 6, better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Some years ago, I took an online assessment called Strengths Finder that identifies the top five strengths of an individual. How many of you have taken the Strengths Finder assessment? Yeah, I figured a lot of you. The results of my Strength Finder assessment reveal that rest may be more challenging for me than for other people. I've taken the assessment three times over the last 15 years. My results have altered slightly each time. However, every time I take the test, the achiever theme sits atop my profile. I'm an achiever. Now, I read my profile to you a few years ago, but I think it's worth repeating, if only for confessional purposes. (laughs) Gallup describes my strength saying, your achiever theme helps explain your drive. Achiever describes a constant need for achievement. You feel as if every day starts at zero. By the end of the day, you must achieve something tangible in order to feel good about yourself. And by every day, you mean every single day. Work days, weekends, vacations. No matter how much you may feel you deserve a day of rest, if the day passes without some form of achievement, no matter how small, you will feel dissatisfied. You have an internal fire burning inside you. It pushes you to do more, to achieve more. The Gallup organization calls that a strength. Does that sound like a strength to you? Because I'm not so sure. 
Another observation from Ecclesiastes, verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. He had no companion. He had no partner. But he had his work. In fact, verse 8, there was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. The ancient Israelites believed the eyes were the seat of, of our yearning and desire. The writer's point is, your work's never done. You will never run out of things to do. But if you chase achievement in search of contentment, you will only find misery. For whom am I toiling, he asked himself, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Achievement usually overpromises and underdelivers. But but then the the writer's reasoning takes an interesting turn. He tells his reader, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. I find this fascinating. In the same context of achieving, the writer shifts the dialogue to connecting. He says, there's great reward in friendship. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. We, we busy ourselves chasing achievement. But I find again and again that our passion to achieve overcomes our passion to connect, leaving in its wake the shrapnel of broken relationships, disappointed kids, and unfulfilled lives. Business executives face this challenge. Stay-at-home parents face this challenge. How many moms and dads chase success to provide a better life for their families only to rob from their families what their families need most? I don't know how many people I've watched over the years skyrocket to the top of their industries at the cost of their marriages. I've met successful entrepreneurs who have received the accolades and the admiration of their colleagues and peers, but their kids won't look them in the eye. I know millionaires who have more money than they could ever spend, but they are relationally impoverished. Here's my advice to you. If climbing higher requires you to step on people or ignore people, if climbing to the top requires you to neglect the most the, the people most important to you, then friends, maybe the middle is for you. I assure you, you will be far more fulfilled in the middle, surrounded by great friends, than cold and lonely on the mountaintop. And if you've made it to the top and found yourself alone, then you've done something wrong. I would submit to you, it's never lonely at the top. Because if you're succeeding at achieving, yet failing at connecting, you are not at the top. Don't, don't kid yourself. Mr. Ambition, don't deceive yourself, Ms. Determination. You can win at work and fail at life. But because you'll never lead a magnificent life until you find traveling companions for your journey, people with whom you can live and laugh and love and pray. And look, maybe for you, you're in a, a, a nice little season of blessing. Everything's up and to the right. You, you, you're loving life and you don't have spiritual friendship. You're like, I'm good. I'm good, I don't need it. Look, I, I've spent the last 20, 25 years journeying with people and seeing their lives. And let me tell you, from all of my observations of working with many, 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 many people over these decades, oh, friends, you will need it. You don't feel like you need it now. You do need it now. You'd be surprised how much you need it now. But if you feel like you don't need it now, get it while the getting's good, Okay. You desperately need spiritual friendship in life. You're created for it. Something I considered this week. I, I think Edward Hallowell was right. To, two of our most powerful experiences in life are achieving and connecting. However, I think also two, two of our greatest sources of pain and disappointment involves achieving and connecting. The things that hurt us the most are in those two arenas. Look, hear me. I know there's other pain in life, to be sure. Physical pain, sickness, for instance. But often, with sickness, the thing we grieve the most is how our sickness prevents us from achieving. 
and connecting. Our hearts ache over failures and disappointments in the areas of achieving and connecting. But but here's the takeaway from me. You will not heal your heartache by achieving more. But you might by connecting more. Achievement heals nothing. I'll tell you, I've been going through a a hard stretch. In fact, on on Friday, late afternoon, early evening, I I was just crushed between the pileup of crises. And, and, And there were multiple crises of both types, achieving and connecting. And I'll be frank, it was overwhelming. Circumstances were such, um, I couldn't phone a friend, but I was experiencing a measure of colossal disappointment that I had not known in years, maybe in life, actually. I I was here in the main meeting room of our, our Salt Lake campus, and walking around this middle section of chairs, pacing around it in prayer, talking to God about what I was feeling. And I desperately, desperately longed to feel differently. I knew this message was coming. I knew I was going to talk about the the, the healing properties of connecting with spiritual friends. And, And in that moment... I asked God to reveal to me how I might be healed by connection when I didn't have immediate connection. I didn't know what he was going to do. But he reminded me of something. He reminded me of a, a, a set of cards. Now, some of you were a part of this two or three months ago. Um, some wonderful, lovely volunteers in our church did like this whisper campaign to have people within our church community write a bunch of personal handwritten notes um, to, to me and to our capital team to just say thank you, to just encourage, to, to, to express love. And it was absolutely lovely and, and we, we had a staff meeting uh, in the fall in which we all gathered together and they brought the notes to us. I mean, it was just absolutely lovely. What a gesture. And so many of you, so many of you wrote notes. Um, but I need to make a confession uh, that until this weekend, only two people on the planet knew. I never read your notes. Suppose I should explain Why? last few years um, the last few years have been some of the hardest of my life in ministry that's actually understatement it has been the most hellish season of life in ministry I have ever undergone I, I for, for you know I, I've it'll be 19 years in May that I've been the lead pastor of Capital Up started 25 years ago. Um, I've been doing this a long time here. And one of the things that's true of our community is how encouraging you all are. And um, and everybody says it. We, I have friends come into town, Jeff, others that, that just, that, that see other communities of, of followers of Jesus and they say there's something about the church. This is a fiercely encouraging community. And by the way, we have a very symbiotic relationship. You know the five love languages? I'm total words of affirmation. And so it's it's this wonderful, beautiful relationship we have, friends. Um, and I'm so grateful for it. But I'll tell you what happened, particularly during the pandemic. A lot of that dried up. And, and there's no blame or shame to any individual, even collectively. I'm just sharing my heart. Is that okay? I just... In fact, all of that encouragement was largely replaced with criticism. And quite frankly, um, 
There were words people said they can't take back and they probably wouldn't want to if they did. They were intended to hurt. They were intended to harm. And I've never been through a season like it. Not out of it yet, if I can be frank. Um, The level of personal rejection and discouragement was unmatched in any season of my life. And I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the wounds. I'm tired of the hurt. And here last fall, so many of you wrote these wonderful personal cards to me. And they've sat in a sack in my office. And I didn't read them because I was afraid to read them. I was afraid they would disappoint me and I don't think I could take that. But as I walked around this main meeting room and I said to God, what do I need to do right now? If it's true, we're created for connection and connection heals. What do I need to do in this season, in this moment to find a bit of healing? He reminded me of the blooming cards. So here's what I did. It was dark outside. Turned on these stage lights. And I just came right here. And I sat in the middle of the stage. And I sobbed. And I sobbed. And I sobbed. As I read every one of those cards all by myself actually I wasn't by myself was I God's spirit was with me and he was particularly present to me in your words did did your words take away all my problems oh dear God no (laughs) but they healed me in a way I desperately needed in that moment. And I cannot thank you enough. That, my friends, that is spiritual friendship. And that's what a lot of you are missing out on. Now, some of you are missing out on it because you're busy. And it's not your priority. But others are missing out on it because you're hurt. Hmm? See, like me, woundedness has gotten the way. Woundedness has gotten the way. Now here, I'm not talking about protecting yourself from unsafe people. That's a good thing, right? But some of us have withdrawn from imperfect people who love us very much for the wrong reasons. Self-pity, resentment, and we've cut ourselves off from the healing that might be ours in this season. Stop it. Stop it. Trust God over the next year. Get intentional about cultivating spiritual friendship in your life because you, my friend, are created for connection. Pray with me. Lord, in this moment, I pray for my friends who... been too busy for connection who have been too hurt to try again Lord I pray for them in this season that you would help them to find the faith to take it seriously this year though it takes work I pray they do the work I pray they 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 cultivate connections in their life deep spiritual friendships so they really do have people they can lean on in crisis. They really do have people who rejoice with them when they're rejoicing. Lord, help all of us to take this seriously, no matter our age. May our students, may our students find deep 
abiding spiritual friendship, even at their age. It seems impossible. It's not. I pray they can cultivate those kinds of friendships in our church community. I pray for people who think that they're too old for this kind of connection. They're not. Convince them of that. And may they take a risk, a calculated risk, on spiritual friendship in the season ahead. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay. I'm going to give you a little homework. Here's your first assignment. Um, I, I'm going to challenge you to pursue spiritual friendship. I use that verb intentionally too. You've got to pursue it. You've got to chase after it. You've got to be intentional. It most likely will not drop in your lap. Every once in a while, that happens. Blah, 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 blah. But that is a rarity. If you have that in your life and it just dropped into your lap, lap thank God. That is, what, that is what people call a miracle. Okay? For the rest of us, you got to get to work. Okay? You're going to have to pursue spiritual friendship. Secondly, I want you to protect spiritual friendship. That's an even stronger word. Now, there are a lot of ways we might need to protect spiritual friendship. Maybe one way to protect spiritual friendship is you're going to have a crucial conversation. You've got to confront someone to preserve the relationship. Don't wait. Sure, get wise. Read up. Do what you need to do to, to do it right. But protect it. Often the way we protect spiritual friendship is we, we carve out time in our life for it and we don't let anything get in the way of that time. I get occasional emergencies, but mm, mm, mm. nope, it's a priority. We put it on the calendar and we're serious about it. That's how you protect spiritual friendship. I have a couple dear friends who I've known for a long, long time. I went to college with them and, um, and their names are Brian and Lindsay. In fact, there are just a tiny handful of you in the room who know Brian because Brian was the original youth pastor of Capital Church a billion years ago. And we, we started the church together and, and life has moved us in different directions. Brian and Lindsay became pastors of a, a church in New Jersey, an incredible big church that they, they've led with, with such excellence and, and so much wisdom. And they're just dear friends. And I'll tell you, anytime that Susan and I can be around and they're just the light of life for us. And we, we long to be with them. And well, you're going to meet Brian in, in two weeks, okay? Brian and Lindsay will be here. Um, but, but, um, I was talking to Brian this week and we were just kind of firming up plans and he's driving in and well he came in uh, about a week earlier and I thought he was going to come in and the problem is that perfectly overlapped when I had to take a short trip during the week to California to do like nine projects and um, and I was so disappointed because it meant that I wasn't going to spend as much time with my old friend as as I thought I would and so guess what I have done? I have moved heaven and earth to move that trip so that I can be with him. Why? To protect spiritual friendship. We don't get these opportunities very much. That's the kind of work you've got to do. That's the kind of sacrifice you've got to make. I know every decision you make, it, you know, what's wise depends on the moment. But friends, you've got you to gotta be intentional about it. You're going to have to sacrifice, Okay? Some ways that you can pursue spiritual friendship include you might want to join a small group. And we talk about small groups all the time at Capitol, and, and we really believe in them. I, I should probably tell you my philosophy, our, our, our church philosophy on small groups, because it's a little different than some churches like us out there. It, some churches will say, you're not really a part of Capitol unless you're in a small group. Well, that's probably not a statement you'll ever hear us say. And the reason we say that is you heard my theology of this last week in that message on owning. See, see, going to a small group, being a part of a small group is a spiritual practice, right? And you may or may not have to do it. What We begin with the end in mind. What's the actual end here? It's spiritual friendship. And here's what I want to say to every single one of you. If you have found spiritual friendship outside of a small group, don't join a small group. Keep doing what you're doing. Rock on, okay? Right? That's a wonderful thing. And if you have that kind of community in your life, thank God for it, right? 
Thank God for it. Share it with as many other people as you can, right? But what we found over the decades as church leaders is I think small groups within a church community are the best ways that we as leaders can create environments in which spiritual friendships can be forged. And I'll tell you, if you're wondering where in the world you're going to find a path toward uh, spiritual friendship, that might be it. I, Suzanne and I regularly meet with a small group of people within our church community. We meet on Thursday nights and we talk about life and we talk about kids and we talk about work and we talk about disappointment and you better believe we're going to talk about my disappointment the next time I see him. And I find strength in that. You might be able to do the same. Join a small group. Another thing you could do is lead a small group. And here I really want to challenge you. God might use you to create environments where spiritual friendships are forged, okay? And and I'll tell you, our our small group team has created a structure that that makes leading a group simple and and meaningful. They provide ongoing support and a community of other leaders so you're not alone. One of the best ways to grow is to lead. And I'll tell you, you don't have to lead alone. Lead with a friend. And I want you to think about maybe God wants you to, to, to cultivate spiritual friendship in the lives of others because you will create an environment for that. Just watch. Watch to see how God might use you, friends. Watch to see how God might use you. Next weekend, as Eric said, we've, we've got our, our leader interest and training meeting. Uh, it's after um, the, the 11 o'clock service on Sunday right here in our Salt Lake campus, January 22nd. If you'd like more information about, about leading a small group, you could certainly come to that. But here's what I want you to do. Whether you want to lead a small group or join a small group, my friend Kim is going to be out on the patio. Uh, talk to her. Uh, you can sign up for some more information. You can engage with us and dialogue about that. Uh, if, if you're viewing this online, you can always look at capitalchurch.com slash small groups or look in the Church Center app because we'd love to get you connected to a small group or, or, or leading a small group. Next week, we'll talk a little more about how God wants to use us in this world. And I gotta wonder, I gotta wonder if God wants to use you in this world to create environments for people to forge these spiritual friendships. Finally, a few more things. There's a book for the week. It's called Find Your People by Jenny Allen. Some of you read this? We've actually had some of our small groups work through this book. What a delightful new book on spiritual community. If you want to read through a book that'll just cast a vision for the kind of community that God wants you to experience in life, this is a good one. Uh, Allen says this, and I'll quote her words from the book. She says, I want us to trade lonely and isolated lives that experience brief bursts of connectedness for intimately connected lives that know only brief intervals of being alone. That sounds like a good place to start. So pick up Jenny Allen's book. I've got a homework assignment that I shared with you last uh, August. I, uh, I'll, I'll share it with you again. Read everything Henry Cloud writes. Read everything Henry Cloud writes. Um, most of you know how much of an influence Henry's been in my life to oversimplify um, to oversimplify my life. Dallas Willard taught me to love God and Henry Cloud taught me to love others. And some of us need to learn the skills of relationships. Actually, most of us, almost all of us need some help in this area. We can always grow. We can always get better. Henry says this, relationships fail when the skills to make them work are not present in one or both of the people involved. What if we could learn some skills of relationships? That's what I'm telling you. Read everything Henry Cloud writes. Another thing you could do is join boundaries.me. That's a website, boundaries.me. And, and it's, it, it's a subscription service that, that, that Henry has created. Um, it's 10 bucks a month. It's cheaper if you buy an annual subscription. And, and I'm going to tell you what it is, honestly. It's therapy in a box is what it is. It's incredible. And, and on this, he has videos just coaching us how to do relationships better, how to sort our souls and, and, and become healthier, healthier disciples of Jesus as we relate to one another, learning to love one another uh, in this season. So boundaries.me, 10 bucks a month, right? You've wasted 10 bucks on dumber things this week, right? 
Give it a shot. I think there's a free trial. Check it out, okay? Stand with me. Here's a verse for the week. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Oh my gosh, what a great verse for spiritual friendship. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Friends, this is a good verse to challenge you, to inspire you. The image on the screen, uh, you can download from our website and our social media accounts. Also, uh, this graphic. You're created for connection. If you'd like to receive prayer, as always, you can email us, care at capitalchurch.com now and through the week because we have a team of people who'd love to pray for you. If, you'd, if you're here in the building today and you'd like to receive prayer before you go, there'll be some people waiting at the front to pray for you. This is what I want to pray for all of you. I'll, be, I'll end where we began. May your eyes be opened to see the blessing you might experience in the kind of life-giving, God-honoring, breathtaking connections described in the Bible. Thanks for coming today. Grace and peace.